0: Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust.
0: This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you've probably heard me mention I was raised in Pennsylvania. My husband, too. After the power outages in Connecticut last August, I remember talking to him about the number of outages we've dealt with since moving to this state in 2006. Neither of us could remember dealing with long-term power outages when we were growing up. Certainly extreme weather has become more common since we were kids. Scientists warn these weather events will only continue. Now beyond worrying about our power grid infrastructure, how confident should should we be as consumers in how our utility companies prepare and respond to these storms? Today, Where We Live, we hear directly from the head of Connecticut's utility regulator, Pura Investigated Eversource and United Illuminating, for their response to last August outages after Tropical Storm Isaias. We'll be hearing from Chairman Marissa Gillette in just a little bit. If you have a question for her, here's the number, 888-720-9677. That's 888 720 wmpr You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Joining us first on Zoom is Patrick Skay. He's a reporter for Connecticut Public Radio covering science and the environment. Patrick, welcome back to the show.
1: Thanks, Lucy. Good to be here.
0: So, this hour we're going to be talking about Eversource and United Illuminating. And we just wanted to note for our listeners Eversource's Executive Vice President and General Counsel, Greg Butler, is also the chairman of the Board of Trustees of Connecticut Public. So, Patrick, take us back to to August when so many of us were without power. This was uh, around the time (laughs) Tropical Storm. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, right. Do we really want to remember that time uh, when Tropical Storm Isaias first appeared uh, and really kind of was quite a a whopper? Uh, I want you to talk about the impact of that storm and what happened, particularly in our state.
1: Sure. Um, So Tropical Storm Isaias hit in early August of 2020. Uh, This obviously was... Uh, during uh, the summer of uh, the pandemic that's been going on here for over a year. Uh, this came at a time when a lot of people were at home more, were working from home more, were paying to their paying attention to their electric bill more. Um, and it came at a time when a lot of consumers were already angry with Eversource uh, for the bills that they were getting in the mail. Uh, people were saying they were too high. Um, and then the storm comes, uh, knocks out power. There's a house on my street, Lucy, uh, Uh, To this day, there's still a blue tarp on the roof. Uh, Hundreds of thousands of people uh, lost power, homes were damaged, um, and it took some people upwards of a week to get their power back. Um, So after that happened, obviously there was a lot of blowback um, from customers, uh, from legislators, um, from local leaders. Uh, against the utilities, uh, not only for their response to the storm, but also for their preparations of the storm. Uh, So Pura, the Public Utilities Regulatory Authority, um, who you're going to be speaking to later, uh, opened up an investigation into this, and um, uh, that uh, went on for the next several months.
0: I wanted to talk about uh, some of the the conversations that were happening before uh, this storm hit, because I think that was uh, part of of the issue is how the electric companies were thinking about was this going to be a bad storm for our area, Patrick?
1: Right, um, and you know, storm preparation is always a, a bit of a, a bit of a science and a bit of a, a bit of an art. Um, there's a lot utilities need to do in advance of a storm coming uh, to an area. Uh, And that includes pre-staging crews, it it includes um, monitoring meteorological forecasts to see where this storm is going to come from. And uh, East Lucy, and I'd be happy to talk a little bit more about this, was a tricky one. Um, This was a storm, you know, it originated in Puerto Rico, Uh, essentially the entire eastern seaboard was in this um, cone where this storm could potentially hit. Um, And uh, that made it difficult, uh, Eversource said, uh, after the fact, to pre-stage crews because um, utilities work off of something called mutual aid in advance of a storm where uh, utilities in other states would lend their resources uh, to an area that was hit by an emergency. But with East IEAS, the whole eastern seaboard was locked down. Those utilities, um, in Eversource's accounting of it, uh, uh, didn't want to come up um, because they thought, well, we might have to deal with our own problem. Um, So that left Eversource in a position, and this was sort of testimony that they gave to Pura in the ensuing months, where they had to um, bring in these resources from uh, the Midwest and the West, which costs money, which takes time. Uh, And again, it's just really tricky sometimes to predict these storms. Um, And when you say it's hit, you know, I don't think anyone anticipated that it was going to have the impact that it did.
0: Yeah, I put out a, a tweet uh, that uh, I had lost a power for five days, and we actually gave in finally, Patrick, and bought a generator. And that was the experience of, of a lot of people—five, mm-hmm. six days. Uh, there were some cases people were out of power for more than a week. You know, it illuminating. Uh, how did their um, response or preparation actually to the storm? How was that a little bit different than EverSource?
1: Yeah, so I think you know what I might do is I'll I'll, I'll fast forward to to uh, what happened yesterday, which was the Public Utilities Regulatory Authority. Again, we had mentioned they had been investigating uh, uh, how both utilities, United Illuminating uh, and Eversource, responded uh, to the storm, but also prepared for the storm. Um, And uh, what Pura announced yesterday was that uh, Eversource, both utilities failed in some respects. Um, Eversource failed a lot worse, was basically what Pura says. And and they can uh, put a more, uh, you know, uh, bureaucratic uh, 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 smart twist on it later, but that's that was my basic takeaway. Um, United Illuminating messed a few things up, um, particularly um, in terms of uh, some of their emergency reporting. Um, and I'm sure Pierre will get into this more later, but but the bit main takeaway was that Eversource um, uh, did a poor job preparing for the storm and responding to it. Um, and uh, the decision that was released yesterday, which we can go through, uh, reflects that. Mm.
0: I was struck by a, a, a quote from one of the the um, Pura uh, regulators uh, and Mr. Karen, uh, who said in your story that even the way that the company uh, Eversource communicated with stakeholders, uh, that there was a lot of people didn't know what was going on in real time. And can you r- remind us how uh, even town leaders, this is not the first bad storm to hit our state, but just the, the lack of, of communication that was so frustrating, uh, not only for customers, but for town leaders trying to respond to their particular emergencies happening.
1: Yeah, sure. So in the decision that Pura released yesterday, there were um, uh, several directives that Pura was giving to Eversource and UI. Um, Among those directives was improve emergency response plans. Uh, And Pura was ordering um, uh, the the utilities to increase their line workers, their damage assessors, and other emergency response and restoration resources. Included in that is something called uh, liaisons. Um, And and this was, uh, to your point, Lucy, A a major hang up with a lot of community leaders uh, in Connecticut. Uh, These liaisons are, uh, when it works right, supposed to be providing these town leaders with actionable information about outages, when crews are going to be coming in, when they're going to be fixing stuff. So town leaders can then take that information to people like you who are out of power for five days and let you know, kind of, you know, okay, here's what the plan is. Um, That system broke down. Um, Eversource has said, you know, we're going to try to do better on this. Um, and this was a, a main, main, main issue for uh, Michael Karen yesterday. One of the the uh, PIRA members, um, but also just for many, many town leaders across Connecticut.
0: Mm-hmm can you talk more about the role uh, when when these bad storms happen uh, and uh, residents are angry and they've got reason to be right and they see that they you know we pay some of the highest electric costs uh, in the, the nation uh, but at the same time uh, when you have a regulator looking into the response of companies and how they have to balance uh, you know the, the their uh, purview um, in handling and, and working with these utilities but also also, they're hearing from so many um, residents who are upset and who want to see action. But is that entirely what Pura uh, needs to respond to? Sure.
1: Well, I, you know, that's a, a question that I can leave for uh, Mercer Gillette, the Pura chair, who's coming on um, in a few minutes. But I can say what they did yesterday. Um, and, and there were two kind of really, really big things, uh, that big actions that Pura took against um, both Eversource uh, and United Illuminating. Um, one, and I apologize in advance for for the wonk speak I'm about to say, <laughs> but I'll try to explain it better. Um, so Pura is reducing uh, return on equity um, for Eversource and United Illuminating. So okay, what's return on equity? Um, basically, allowable profits. So this is essentially reducing the allowable profits uh, that both of these utilities can take from ratepayers here in Connecticut. Uh, Pura is structuring this right now as an indefinite penalty. Um, Eversource did, I believe, have a prior reduction imposed after the 2011 and 2012 storms. Um, But Marissa Gillette, the Pura chair, was saying yesterday, apparently that was insufficient, um, didn't ensure adequate storm performance, as evidenced by what happened. Um, So for Eversource, uh, the penalty is 0.9%. For UI, it's 0.15%. And um, yesterday, Pura was hesitant to put a dollar figure on what that will mean for the company's... um, going forward they did comment on um, uh, the financial impact that this would have in the context of 2020 numbers so if you use that as a proxy um, Pierre was saying yesterday this would equate to about about 25 million dollars a year for Eversource uh, and about 1.3 million dollars a year for United Illuminating Pierre is saying this isn't a penalty Uh, again this is a a return on equity going forward so it's an incentive for um, uh, the utilities essentially to do better Uh, to perform better. So maybe that rate gets adjusted in the future. Um, But Pure is uh, potentially pursuing penalties. Uh, They've reopened a docket to do that, which could issue civil penalties, and those could have monetary fines attached as well.
0: And I'm sure our residents will uh, be interested to hear uh, more from Marissa Gillette about uh, some of the consequences uh, after this uh, um, many-month many uh, investigation into the preparation response uh, to the power outages that many of us saw last August. Patrick Scahill, reporter for Connecticut Public Radio, thank you for coming on to just remind us uh, what we were all dealing with back then and the fact that there's some broad strokes in this report. We're going to dig more into that with Marissa Gillette after the break. Patrick, thank you. Thank you. This is Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Again, the chairman of Pura, that is uh, Marissa Gillette, will be here to answer your questions and talk more about uh, this final decision, what it all means. You can join us with your question to 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy nall Plenty of residents were angry with electric company Eversource last August after power outages persisted for days. In a pandemic, Liz on Twitter shared with us, I was out of power for five days, fridge of spoiled food, all while trying to continue working during a pandemic. I live in an apartment building, so I did not buy a generator, and my landlord could never be bothered. Again, that's uh, Liz uh, tweeting at us about uh, what she experienced after uh, the outages from Tropical Storm Isaias. Uh, Something else also gets people's blood boiling. It's when utilities talk about rate hikes that are needed to pay for storm response or that they hope to recoup recoup some of that from customers. Uh, Then uh, CEO of Eversource uh, telling um, during a a, a conference call with analysts, uh, James Judge, again he's no longer the CEO, predicted that Pura, the state regulatory authority, will ultimately rule that Eversource can recoup some of the $228 million it spent restoring power in Connecticut. Now, state regulators have power over electric rates. They can even compel utilities to pay a fine based on poor performance. Connecticut Public Utility Regulatory Authority, known as Pura, investigated Eversource and United Illuminating. It has issued a final decision to talk about it. Joining us now on Zoom is Marissa Gillette, chairman of Connecticut's Public Utilities Regulatory Authority, or Pura. Marissa, welcome back to the show.
2: Good morning.
0: Thanks for having me. Our listeners can join as well, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. So I asked this question to Patrick, uh, but it's probably better suited for you, Marissa, to talk about your relationship, Pure's relationship with utilities like Eversource and UI and uh, the regulatory aspect of your role.
2: Absolutely. So every state across the country has uh, a, their own version of PURA. They're frequently called public service commissions um, or regulatory commissions. Our function is to serve as the economic regulator and try to facilitate, um, to step in where you have a monopoly that is not subject to free market forces and try to create. Um, you know those those simulate those forces if you will so our relationship you can think of us a little bit like a judge so pura is a quasi-judicial agency which means we can issue legally binding orders so the utilities are one stakeholder that come before us and then there are other stakeholders, like there's a statutory party that represents all consumers across the state called the Consumer Council. Mm-hmm. And what happens is all these parties come to us in the context of a proceeding, which is just a case, and they put on a case they present us evidence and we have to make a finding. Um, so, you know, I think one of the common misconceptions is that PURA is an advocate. Unfortunately, we're not. We are statutorily charged with balancing the interests between uh, the shareholders of the utilities and the ratepayers of the state. Now, we can talk about whether my perspective is historically that that balance between the ratepayers and the shareholders perhaps that balance, not, not perhaps, I'm going to say, I don't think that balance has been maintained in this state from my perspective, um, you know, coming into Connecticut just two years ago. Uh, but um, our relationship with the utilities is, is their regulator. And, um, and I'm not sure that there's been a recognition on their part uh, that we're their regulator, not their collaborator.
0: Mm. Thank you for clarifying that. Because you mentioned the, the monopolies, uh, John uh, asked, uh, why does Pura continue to allow these monopolies? Uh, there's no competition and the prices keep going up with no relief in sight. The customer ends up paying for the utility company screw-ups, as John uh, mentioned. Uh, how do you respond to that, Marissa?
2: It's a great question. So uh, the structure of regulatory commissions and uh, utilities was invented about you know 100 years ago, more than that at this point Um, in the recognition that you couldn't have competing electric grids. it's Electric grids are just too costly to have two of. So uh, you have a monopoly uh, electric distribution company. Um, Customers can select. They do have choice in terms of who's providing their supply. Happy to talk about that a little bit. Um, But it's really a function of practicality that you have a monopoly. uh, And that is you know, pursuant to state law as well. Uh, so, what we can look at, and you know, will pr- presumably looking forward, uh, is you know whether EverSource is the appropriate franchise uh, you know owner for that system. Uh, you saw Senator Blumenthal raise that question, you know, following the storms last August. Um, and there's a bill in the legislature right now that has a task force uh, looking on the issue, looking in on the issue, but. Um, You know, fundamentally, electric distribution companies are designed to be a monopoly because having two competing systems would just be too costly. Mm -hmm.
0: So let's dig into this report, uh, this final decision that was issued by Pura. I understood it took eight months to create this report. So (laughs) I imagine you heard from a lot of people. So talk through how you took their input into uh, your assessment of the the performance of Eversource and United Illuminating.
2: Mm-hmm. So one thing that I've been trying to you know, talk to people about since I started at Pira two years ago is the importance of the public voice in the Pira proceedings. Because as we touched on at you know, the top of the interview, if, if the only voices in my courtroom, which is a virtual courtroom right now, are the utilities, uh, then it's very difficult for me to strike a balanced decision because I have to make a decision on the evidence that's put into the record. So we uh, heard from a lot of consumers. Uh, in fact, we received over 500 comments uh, into our docket. Uh, also, we were fortunate to have the participation of a number of municipalities as formal interveners into the proceeding, which was crucial to provide evidence, you know, direct evidence on those elected officials' experience during and after the storm. Uh, so their their input, as well as the input of uh, customers is reflected uh, throughout the decision in tr- and used as evidence as to why both Eversource and, to some degree, UI failed the performance standards that they were obligated to uphold, you know, pursuant to authority order and in, in the law. So let's talk
0: specifically about Eversource. Uh- taking in all that input uh, that uh, you and your fellow um, peers uh, within Pura looked at in terms of preparation, response, communication, uh, tell us how Eversource did.
2: Uh, ultimately, Pura concluded that Eversource failed in almost every respect. Um, every every performance standard that we looked at that had been you know, codified and publicized uh, in advance of the storm Eversource had a deficiency, if not an outright failure. Uh, So that included, you know, as Patrick was talking to you about, they had multiple failures in their communication structure, not just the way they communicated to customers or officials, but actually their communications infrastructure failed as well. Um, And, you know, there were rippling effects from that. They also failed to adequately pre-stage resources and Patrick talked a little bit about that as well on mutual aid. I think one additional thing to say there is their failure to, you know, pre-stage resources had devastating consequences throughout the rest of the storm. You know, the first 48 hours after the storm are the most important in terms of public safety. And they simply didn't have enough boots on the ground or physically located in Connecticut to even assess the damage at that point. So. Uh, I, I think it was just a widespread pervasive failure on their part, and the consequences for them uh, are going to be steep.
0: Mm. And when we talk about the consequences, uh, Patrick mentioned uh, this uh, this penalty. Um, so can you describe that to us more about um, how this is going to impact uh, Eversource and United Illuminating? <laughs>
2: Sure. So the return on equity penalty, Or, or, um, apologies, uh, I'm referring to it as an incentive for opportunity for them to do better. (laughs) Um, A return on equity is simulated in the monopoly environment by the regulators. It really speaks to the profitability of the utility. So by imposing a reduction, so right now, Eversource has an authorized ROE of 9.25%. Uh, we've imposed a 90 basis point reduction, so they take 9.25 minus minus 0.9 percent, and that equates to the authorized amount of you know profit that they can collect from ratepayers. Uh, so as Patrick talked about, we've we've estimated that if we use 2020 numbers, um, this would come to the amount of 25 million dollars per year, and that's money that is not collect not collected from ratepayers. Uh, So we will go through, we're, we're in a parallel proceeding right now where we're investigating interim rate decreases for both Eversource and UI. That's pursuant to the take back our grid legislation from the fall. So we will look to incorporate the ROE reductions for both Eversource and UI in that proceeding.
0: Uh, Eversource did re- give us a statement as well as other uh, media we stand they say that we stand by a response and stormy say yes as we know our thousands of employees showed skill and dedication in restoring power to customers as quickly as possible Also, there are many areas for improvement that we're already addressing, and we continue to work in good faith with our communities, customers, and regulators to improve our performance. And so can you describe the the process moving forward? Uh, Then then we can talk more about United Illuminating, but uh, Eversource, can they appeal this ruling, and and how quickly will all of this um, be worked out, Marissa?
2: yeah great question i mean i've seen their statement as well uh it's comparable to the statement they've released every step of the way and really reflects to me a continued tone deafness on their part um you know the 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 issue was not with their workers we when we made you know a special note in our decision and in our statements yesterday that the workers that you know belonged to EverSource and UI as well as the ones that came from out of state they performed admirably you know they got the power back up as soon as possible this is not a reflection on them this is a reflection on the management of EverSource and UI to a lesser degree and uh, you know I'm I'm very extremely disappointed that they're still not revisiting you know their their tone and their um, takeaways from our decisions so they, you know, they have the legal right to appeal our findings, as you know. I talked about Pura is a quasi-judicial agency, so the legal opinion that we put out can be appealed to superior court. Uh, you know, my colleagues and I, in the decision yesterday, said that we hope they don't appeal because I think that that would show, you know, that they both are taking accountability for uh, the findings that we've issued. Uh, but given the amount of money at stake, I, I imagine that they will appeal. They've they appealed a ten thousand dollar fine I issued last year, so I can't imagine that they're not going to issue a, or appeal a $25 million dollar one. Um, so the schedule for you know uh, superior court review that's set by the Connecticut Superior Court, um, and I, I really couldn't speak to how long that would take. Uh, but in the meantime, Pura will continue moving forward. Uh, on the basis of the decision that we issued yesterday, uh, because we consider uh, w- we considered a lot of comprehensive uh, evidence and think that we've reached the right decision.
0: You're hearing Marissa Gillette here on Where We Live, Chairman of Connecticut's Public Utilities Regulatory Authority. Again, as we're talking about the uh, report, the investigation that they did over the last eight months, issuing a final decision, highly critical of how Utility Eversource responded after that tropical storm last August. If you have a question, 888-720-9677, that's 888-720-WNPR. You can share a comment on our Facebook page or find us on Twitter uh, at Where We Live, a so we talked about that uh, return um, well, dealing with their profit. Uh, and so what about fines for deficiencies in the last storm? Marissa, how will that um, pan out?
2: A great question. Um, as we talked about, the the return on equity reductions are an incentive for them to do better in future storms. But of course, our decision yesterday spoke to the multitude of deficiencies that we saw um, last August and what with that comes penalties for their failures and uh, you know state law prescribes the amount of penalties that we can assess it's a percentage of their annual distribution revenues so we will be issuing uh, that preliminary notice of violation uh, late next week in which we list the areas of non-compliance and how that translates into a dollar figure uh, so those uh, fines and penalties we have a couple of options what to do with them uh, they can be used to offset needed investments in the, ses- in the system um, they can be returned to you know ratepayers as a credit uh, so we will be you know talking with our stakeholders about uh, I'm sure the other parties have opinions about Uh, how those uh, fines should be translated into, um, and that will come out, that that process will start next week.
0: I think uh, residents who are customers of Eversource United Illuminating you know, they'll be glad to hear that there will be some consequences on these utilities. But then we all wonder about uh, how this will then impact our bills in the future. And so when I read that quote from then CEO of Eversource talking about even being able to recoup the amount of money they've spent on um, after Tropical Storm Isaias, I mean, what can you tell our listeners about, uh, you know, their fears that they'll just see uh, the, the costs of, of what utilities are paying? out um, in our bills in the future.
2: You know, I I also read that report, which I found, uh, you know, Mr. Judge's quote to be deeply offensive, um, you know, of of course, as a ratepayer myself, but also as their regulator, he refused to even come to our evidentiary hearings. He sent, you know, deputies. So uh, and they also have been dragging their feet throughout the process on even turning over that preliminary cost data. So. To hear him address investors in a way that he refused to address me uh, was, you know, just deeply offensive. I think indicative of their opinion of whether they, you know, need to be held a- accountable by us. So um, they did not seek cost recovery through this proceeding. Uh, so there was nothing for us to approve or deny uh we did however reach findings in the decision uh they're called prudency determinations um so you know just to to take a very quick tangent um i think what people get frustrated about with utility rate making is it's bound by these two u.s supreme court precedents that allow utilities to recover uh their prudently incurred investments uh and as as well as a reasonable return on those investments so what the real issue here is, is the money that was spent by one or both of the utilities preparing for and responding to the storm, was that prudently incurred? Was it reasonable? And if if it was prudent and reasonable, then they have a legal right to recover it. But what you saw in the final decision yesterday was that we made a number of determinations that certain areas of their response were were very imprudent. Uh, so when they do come in to apply for a cost recovery, and uh, unfortunately we cannot prevent them from that application, uh, but when they do, uh, you know, seek cost recovery, we'll be looking to the determinations from yesterday's decision, and uh, they'll have to <laughs> they'll they'll be faced with those findings of imprudence.
0: Again, you can join our conversation if you have a question for the chairman of Pura, Marissa Gillette, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. We've been focusing a lot on Eversource, your final decision after this uh, uh, investigation, also focusing on United Illuminating, um, not as critical of uh, that utility, but tell us where they needed to
2: improve. Yeah, we did, act, as you mentioned, we were less critical of UI, but one thing struck me at the beginning of the investigation, and and I think it was a quote that um, came out of a letter from Congressman um, Joe Courtney to me, if I'm remembering correctly, and he was encouraging Pira not to view UI and Eversource as the measuring sticks against each other, but rather, you know, we have municipalities and co-ops in this state uh that performed admirably following the storm and and that maybe they should be the measuring stick and uh, i thought that was a really interesting perspective and so what we were careful to do through yesterday's decision was you know it's hard not to compare ui and eversource against each other particularly when you're writing about them in the same decision But we were very careful to say, you know, UI may have done better than Eversource. They did. They did much better than Eversource. But they still had shortcomings. And uh, some of those shortcomings were particularly noticeable uh, in their interactions with the city of Bridgeport uh, and their failure to um, satisfy all of their what are called make safe obligations in that community. Uh, They also had a number of issues with uh, taking the highest priority calls for life safety events following uh, the immediate aftermath of the tropical storm. Um, So they were much better, still had some issues. And uh, that's why we also announced an ROE reduction for them as well, uh, just to a, a lesser degree than Eversource to reflect the difference in their performance.
0: And we did get a statement also from United Illuminating a Spokesperson, Ed Crowder, writing in part, we have Pura's final decision, we're still reviewing it, however, we're disappointed the ruling does not fully reflect the facts we presented during the proceeding, and that it imposes a penalty despite Pure's finding that UI, quote, generally met the standards of acceptable performance and conducted itself prudently and efficiently. Marissa, did you want to respond?
2: yeah you know i think what he left out of that quote was a very important phrase from our decision which was subject to the exceptions that are noted in that decision uh and those exceptions are what drove the consequences that you saw yesterday so uh you know i i appreciate the way that ui approached this investigation i think there was a marked difference between both companies in terms of their cooperation um, and their tone and their willingness to take accountability. So I do commend UI, UI's management for, you know, from my perspective, a, a good faith participation in the investigation. Yeah. Uh, nonetheless, uh, you know, regulation and holding people accountable, it's, it's uncomfortable. It can be uncomfortable. Uh, I don't shy away from it, uh, you know, obviously from um, yesterday's decision, and uh, I encourage UI to embrace um, the findings from yesterday and uh, improve on the deficiencies deficiencies that we did find.
0: You're hearing Marissa Gillette here on Where We Live, chairman of Connecticut's Public Utilities Regulatory Authority, also known as Pura. We've been talking about a final decision by Pura after its investigation into how electric companies responded to last August's power outages after tropical stormy saiyas. Now, Pura's final decision was not only highly critical of Eversource, but it will impact how much profit the company can make from Connecticut ratepayers going forward. We're going to continue talking to Marissa after the break. And if you have a question about Pura, or this uh, this final decision question about um, the, the system process moving forward, you can join us as well. 888 720 9677. That's 888 720 WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. Mm-hmm. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy nall My guest on Zoom, Marissa Gillette, chairman of Connecticut's Public Utilities Regulatory Authority, also known as Pura. If you have a question for Marissa, 888-720-9677. Chris is calling in from Wethersfield with a question. Chris, go ahead. Uh, Yes, Marissa, uh, something seems to have changed uh, in a positive direction since you have uh, come on board. And I just needed to have um, a a definition. I'm looking at an ancient to probably mission statement that you had. You know, Pura is statutorily charged with regulating the rates and services of Connecticut investors-owned electricity, natural gas, water, and telecommunication companies and is the franchising authority for the state's cable TV Companies. I'm interested in what do you consider telecom in our state?
2: Marissa? Great question. I I really appreciate the feedback. I I hope that, you know, ratepayers have seen a a change. Um, Monday marked my two-year anniversary in this role um, after the governor recruited me from Maryland uh, and hope to make some continued changes uh, for the duration of my term. Um, the telecommunications um, portion of our regulation has been uh, interesting for me. Connecticut uh, deregulated the telecom uh, sector about 20 years ago is my understanding. So uh, Pure's regulation in that space is quite limited by law. Uh, right now, uh, our main activities are with respect to the siting of, so S-I-T-I-N-G of of small cell antennas Uh, we also uh, have some regulatory authority over a small portion of frontier so we uh, regulate their what's called pot service plain old telephone service Uh, and there's a bill pending in the legislature this session Uh, governor ned lamont has asked uh, the legislature to consider empowering pure to regulate broadband so that legislation is under consideration um, you know, by the legislature right now. And if that's adopted, Pira's uh, you know, regulatory authority in the telecom space would you know, go from zero to 100 overnight. So uh, you know, stay tuned, um, you know, we are a creature of statute. So if the governor and the legislature would like me to take on uh, you know, the regulation of broadband, uh, I think my colleagues and I stand, stand ready. Um, we're just you know, waiting for that direction.
0: We heard from Bill on Twitter who wrote, uh, shouldn't Pura uh, require better prep, tree pruning, underground feeders, network redundancy, distributed storage? Let's talk about that, Marissa, you know, this concern that that our, how to make our grid more reliable and other ways to do it.
2: I would love to talk about that because that's <laughs> what the governor brought me to the state to do. It's, you know, generally considered under the umbrella of what's called grid modernization so that's what I came to the state to do. and what I found uh, you know instead was uh, that I you know had to spend eight months investigating their failures. We, we have been moving my grid mod dockets forward at the same time. They just don't generate you know as much uh, interest, I'd, I'd say. but um, we absolutely need to be focused on things like decentralizing our grid uh, uh, through energy storage and other you know uh, distributed energy resources. Uh, Undergrounding, especially strategic undergrounding of portions of the circuits, that needs to be on the table. You know, what I've heard consistently from our utilities and in a couple of different dockets over the past years, they consistently throw out how expensive undergrounding is. And, you know, I think that's misleading. Uh, Tree management, it's called vegetation management, that is expensive. And it has to be done on, uh, you know, cycles. It's not a one and done. Um, and when you have an increasing number of catastrophic storms where you're having to rebuild your system uh, multiple times a year, the, the cost of undergrounding a portion of your circuit begins to look a lot more attractive. So, you know, through, we, we have a proceeding, It's called the Equitable Modern Grid Proceeding. There are 11 different tracks and that is looking at ways in which our infrastructure can be uh, modernized so um, that we're both reliable and resilient. And I've expressed a number of concerns over the past two years I've been here that our ratepayers pay some of the highest, you know, rates in the country. Yet uh, I'm not sure that we have enough to show for it. Uh, and let me rephrase and say I know we don't have enough to show for it. Um, so you know, the level of inertia that I've encountered in this role uh, from the utilities, from other stakeholders, it's really baffling to me and, uh, you know, chipping away at that, uh, one day at a time is a very draining proposition. So I welcome the attention from, um, you know, elected officials and from stakeholders, uh, because that level of attention, you know, has a meaningful difference in our proceedings. So, uh, thank you for the question.
0: Marissa Gillette again is chairman of Connecticut's Public Utilities Regulatory Authority also PURA. We have a question for her. The number 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR and you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. Uh, Peter writes on Facebook that his wife has a small animal rescue in Torrington. Last month she got a bill from Eversource for 59 dollars, the cost of electricity was about seven the rest was delivery and other charges and this is a question that we've heard time and time again uh, from residents marissa why are delivery charges so high
2: (laughs) how much time do you have no i'm just kidding (laughs) um so we got this question and and i think lucy we spoke about this in the fall um you know we had the twin uh, actually we had many tragedies and crises last year and to deal with but one of those was the you know quote unquote July 2020 rate increases Um, and that really brought some of this to the forefront and uh, as a result of that we have directed our staff by September 30th of this year to present a redesign of the electric bill um, and and that is focused on you know allowing folks to understand the cost drivers of their electricity better. I think right now what's confusing is there's just two categories on your bill, supply and delivery, but the delivery portion of your bill is really a misnomer. What's in there, what it's been expanded to do is cover public policy costs, both from the state and the federal regulators. Uh, and that's being lumped in with the distribution charges. Truly what costs you know the electric utilities money to deliver your electricity are the line items on your bill labeled distribution charge, or uh, it's a fixed charge and a per kilowatt hour charge. The other charges that are lumped in on the delivery, those are for things like uh, millstone, um, for taxes, for transmission. So if folks want to understand uh, what different line items on their bill are today, we have put together narrated presentations that are on our website that walk you through each line item today and what goes into that line item. And what folks can look forward to is the redesign of the bill this fall uh, that will make that more uh, transparent. Now, again, none of those address lowering um, those rates, and we have some additional uh, processes focused on that. Happy to to talk through, but um, that concern uh, persists. I hear that a, a lot, and we are uh, first and foremost um, focused on you know educating folks about uh, those differences so they can. Um, you know, be better informed on who they need to talk to. Is it Pura? Is it their elected officials? Uh, and uh, in many cases, it's the latter. So um, happy to dig into any of that as you see fit, Lizzie.
0: Well, I wanted to ask you because we were talking about, um, you know, how electricity is delivered, um, how uh, it can be reliable and affordable. And I wanted you to chime in on, on how you see the role of ISO New England in all of this.
2: Yeah, that's a a great question. So um, i spent most of my career in Maryland, which has a different grid operator called PJM. Um, but ISO has exhibited some of the uh, you know same characteristics or concerns for me that we saw in the in PJM when I was in Maryland, and and I think the first and foremost concern is that their market designs uh for something called capacity uh cause our ratepayers to pay twice for the same thing you hear commissioner dykes talk about this a lot Um, my colleague over at the uh connecticut deep the department of energy environmental protection the reason she's so focused on this rightly so uh, is that uh, connecticut like our new england partner states you know, have state policy goals um, for carbon reduction that are not being reflected in the markets that I, the ISO runs for the region, and as a result, our ratepayers end up having to pay twice. Uh, you know, once for what the the state has deemed important, such as you know retaining millstone, um, and an, and another time for natural gas or even some oil units that the ISO markets are telling us that have to stay on. So, uh, you know, Commissioner Dice is really. Um, you know, led some of the efforts to uh, start conversations at the ISO on how to address this moving forward. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not suggesting that we need to uh, strike out on our own. There are a lot of benefits from being in the regional grid, uh, most notably that what happened to Texas, um, you know, couldn't repeat in New England um, to, the, to, to the same degree. Um, So, you know, I I just I think there's a lot to unpack there and and Commissioner Dykes has a a good handle on it.
0: Uh, Last cue for you, Marissa, Uh, we might be seeing a stormy summer and fall ahead. But when we think about uh, the role of renewables and how this new technology will impact our grid, uh, you think we'll be able to handle these upcoming storms?
2: yeah i I think renewables, um, especially to the extent they can help us decentralize the grid, you know connecticut's the the fuel cell capital, right? And fuel cells, um, other types of energy storage, uh, solar on the roof, like we need that's what it's what I mean when I say we need to focus on decentralizing the grid uh, and empowering our ratepayers to have their own little what are called nano grids. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, I, I think that there's some near-term actions that we ordered in our decision yesterday, uh, that are targeted at, uh, the emergency response plans for the, the utilities that should help, um, help customers have a better experience in the forthcoming storm season. Uh, but there is, that is by no means the end of the conversation. There is still a lot of work to do. And the more that I can get the utilities to participate in good faith and cooperate in the proceedings before me and less focused on appealing um, you know, our orders and, and fines that I think have been rightfully imposed, uh, the better we will, we will all be.
0: Well, Marissa Gillette, we really thank you for the time you've given us today to talk about uh, Pura's final decision. Anything that we missed that you want to sum up in uh, less than uh, two minutes?
2: (laughs) We didn't uh, touch uh, that much on the management audits that have been ordered by yesterday's decision. Um, But uh, I think those kind of speak for themselves. We're ordering a third party independent, uh, you know, contractor to come in and take um you know, get embedded with our utilities and uh, see firsthand what kind of changes to their organis- organizational structures can be made uh so so that's another outcome from yesterday's proceeding and then my closing message besides that would be just to thank the min- municipalities elected officials the you know ratepayers for making your voice heard it really made a difference in this proceeding uh, and I would encourage them to continue engaged going forward. i um, always happy to explain what's going on in the energy world. So thanks for having me.
0: Marissa, thank you. Marissa Gillette, Chairman of Connecticut's Public Utility Regulatory Authority, known as Pura. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchal. Carmen Baskoff produced today's show. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. And tomorrow, it's almost the weekend. We want to hear about all the new hobbies you've picked up in the last year. We hope you join us for that conversation.